reading today is from Luke chapter 20, uh, verses 1 to 19. One day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple courts and proclaiming the good news, the chief priests and teachers of the law, together with the elders, came up to him. Tell us by what authority you are doing these things, they said. Who gave you this authority? He replied, I will also ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, all the people will stone us because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, we don't know where it was from. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. He went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants bet him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but they also bet him and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, God forbid. Jesus looked directly at them and asked, Then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them, but they were afraid of the people. Thanks, Bree. I forgot to uh, just give you one detail about uh, the Prins before. It was lovely to hear from them. Uh, we are going to do a night in a couple of weeks. It's on February the 23rd, uh, which is a Wednesday night where we can come and hear a little bit uh, more from them and get to know them and, and that sort of thing too. And we'll, um, we'll send out details about them, uh, about that. Uh, and if you're not on our email list, I encourage you to fill out one of those blue blue cards and get on our email list and we can um, make sure you're included in the details. Uh, it's always good to be connected with what's going on around the church. Uh, it's good to be with you and it is a bit of a big day this morning and uh, for this term what we're doing at Trinity Church Brighton is we're looking at this part of the Bible that we've had read from us. Uh, we're looking at the week that Jesus spent in Jerusalem leading up to his death and resurrection at Easter time. Uh, and the big idea is this, Jesus has been out uh, in the countryside, he's been kind of out uh, doing miracles, teaching, he's been sort of at a distance uh, but now he's come and he's come right into the city, he's come in and he's confronting the people of Jerusalem. He's confronting the Jewish leaders. No holding back, no more beating around the bush. This is who I am. I'm the king. Time to decide if you're with me or against me. We're going to see this confrontation play out over several weeks. And uh, what we're seeing is that as we see Jesus confront the Jewish leaders, we're also seeing that he's confronting us as well. We're being asked the question, who do we think Jesus is? And today that confrontation is centered around this question of authority. Who has authority in this world? Who's, who has authority in our lives? And this is a confronting 
thing for us because we we like the idea of being in charge. Uh, I know this is true for me. I'm I'm quite naturally actually, if I was honest, I have a tendency to be even controlling. Like I, I do like being in charge. I'm I'm the firstborn sibling. I'm a Type A personality, organised, uh, and I care about others. And so if I'm not careful, you know, before I even realise it, I I can take charge and help others by um by organising their whole lives for them. Uh, and I've always been like this, even as a kid, um, the Olympics are on at the moment. I can remember as a kid when the Olympics were on, I would always organize a mini Olympics for my siblings. I'd take charge, uh, tell them all what we were going to do. I reckon, I was trying to remember, I'm sure I even organized a Winter Olympics uh, one time. I think it involved like speed skating on rollerblades and sort of running diagonally back and forth through paddocks as a, as a way of doing slalom skiing. Uh, but I would always take charge and I'd, I'd even decide things like, you know, these are all the medals that I'm going to win and then these ones, are, they're the ones that I'm going to let my brothers and sisters win. And it'd always work out exactly how I said it was going to. Now, I'm sure plenty of us don't have that sort of weird, hyper-organized personality, but I do think all of us actually like to be in control, even if we just like the idea of being in control of our own lives, of having authority to say, I'm going to decide how I spend my time. I'm going to decide uh, which desires I act on. If I want something, then I'm going to go and get it. And this is certainly a pretty popular way to think uh, in our society these days where we're independent, we're encouraged to go after things, we're encouraged to take control, you know, decide the sort of life we want to live and then, and then go out and get it, go for it, right? And it's not, not necessarily a terrible way of thinking. Um, but there is almost this idea that this is what the key to life is. Look within... Work out who you are, work out what you want out of life, what your deepest desires are, and then live your life trying to get those things. And if you live that way, you know, that, that's the way to find true fulfillment. I think that's a pretty common way of thinking these days. I don't know if you agree. And I'll say it again, I don't think it's a hugely terrible way to think, but I, I do think there's a problem with it. And the problem is that it doesn't ultimately work. Because, you know, you say, I'm going to look within, I'm going to work out what I want, I'm going to take control, I'm going to go out and get what I want, control my destiny. But often, we, we go out and we do get what we want, and it doesn't always lead to the fulfillment that we hope it will. And often it will work for a while, for a long time, but uh, eventually, well, if we just wait, eventually we do realise that we lose control. Eventually we realise that we can't control everything around us, that so much of our life is beyond our control. I think COVID's come along and proven that, hasn't it? And if you're like me and you like to be in charge, well, when the illusion of control gets shattered, that can be a hard thing, a confronting thing. We like to be in charge, we like to be in control, and I'll, I'll say it again, just so you don't miss here, it's not all a bad thing, it's, it's, um, there are good things about living that way and, and, and trying to get the things that you want and um, taking risks and all that sort of thing. Uh, partly that's how God's made us and that's the role that he's given us in the world to look after it and care for it and, uh, and, and use that level of authority. But what Jesus wants us to show us today, what Jesus wants to show us today is that ultimate authority, ultimate authority belongs to him alone. Ultimate authority over the world, over our lives, over our choices, it doesn't belong to us, it belongs to him. And that's a confronting thing. That Jesus is in charge, that might not be something we actually agree with. It might be something that's hard to hear. It might be something that maybe we're okay with in theory, but not so much in reality. Uh, but part of what I want to show us today is that actually this is a wonderful truth, that Jesus being in charge, when we understand what that means and when we accept it, actually the idea that Jesus is in charge gives us a much better way to approach life than trying to control everything ourselves.
Here's, uh, here's our outline for today. Uh, there are two main parts to the Bible passage that Bree has read for us, and that'll be our first two points, uh, a revealing question and a revealing story. And then more quickly towards the end, we'll do the last, uh, last two points. There's a difficult question that I want to um, just ask for a bit, and then I'm just going to take us quickly through three implications. Uh, so a revealing story, a revealing question, a revealing story, a difficult question, three implications. Uh, let's get into Luke chapter 20 uh, with our revealing question. Uh, This is how it starts. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple courts and proclaiming the good news, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, together with the elders, came up to him. Uh, So Jesus is in the city. He's spending time in the city. He's hanging out. And along come the chief priests and the elders and the teachers of the law. And and by the way, the, the... Kind of the theme of today is authority, and these guys, uh, these guys have lots of authority. We, um, through the book of Luke, we've seen uh, these people called the Pharisees a lot, but this is actually the first time that we see these particular guys, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, uh, together with the elders. These are, um, these, are, these are big shots. These are the head honchos. Um, our closest equivalent is probably uh, a member of federal parliament or a senator or something like that. These are the guys who sat on the Jewish ruling council. So these are guys with a lot of authority. And this is, what, uh, this is what they say to Jesus. Tell us by what authority you are doing these things, they said. Who gave you this authority? It's a pretty fair question, right? I mean, Jesus has just come into the city. He's come claiming to be a king. Uh, he's just chased a bunch of people out of the temple with a whip. Um, he is doing some strange things. Who, who are you, Jesus? What gives you the right to do something like that? And this is what Jesus says in response. It's... Um, Leaves them stumped. He replied, I will also ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? They discussed it amongst themselves and said, "Uh, if we say from heaven, he will ask, why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, all the people will stone us. I mean, it's tense, isn't it? They're worried about getting stoned because they they are persuaded that John was a prophet. And so they answered, we don't know where it was from. And Jesus said, well, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. Um, so the leaders, they, they come along, they say, what gives you the right, Jesus? What are you doing? And well, Jesus' reply leaves them stumped. I don't know about you, but the first time I read this through, I kind of think that Jesus sort of wins the argument with sort of a clever trick question, you know, it sort of distracts them. You know, what gives you the right, Jesus? And then Jesus said, ah, well, I'm only going to tell you if you can answer this question. And I know you can't answer this question, so I've got you. You win, Jesus, too clever. But here's the thing. Jesus', Jesus, Jesus reply here is much more than this. It's not just a simple trick question. It's a revealing question. Uh, let, me, let me show you two things that the question does, two things it reveals quickly. Um, first of all, so first of all, it exposes the true motives of um, the people who are listening, just, uh, who are asking the question. Let me, just, let me just show you if we just flip back a little bit. Remember, Jesus has asked the question about where John's baptism comes from. And if you don't know, John is uh, John the Baptist. He's, he's a guy who came before Jesus. He told everyone to get ready for Jesus. And look at what uh, the leaders say. They, they're thinking about John's baptism. And they say, well, is it from heaven? Well, we can't really say that. Because if we said that John was from heaven, well, John was only ever talking about Jesus. So then we kind of have to accept Jesus as well. So we can't say that. So could we say that John's baptism is from human origin? Well, I can't say that because the people are going to get angry and they, you know, they like John. So just think about it. Think about how this exposes the motivation of the leaders who are asking this question. Just think about what they're interested in. Are they interested in, you know, the, the truth? No. Are they interested in, I don't know, who Jesus actually is? No, they're not interested in that at all. All the Jewish 
leaders are interested in is control. They want to keep Jesus under control. He's doing some crazy things. They want to keep the people under control. They're worried that if they upset the people, then the people are going to get angry. They, they're in a nice position. They're in charge. They, they've got authority and they'd like to keep it that way. But along comes Jesus, claiming to be the king. And they're not interested in whether Jesus is legitimate or not. They just want to control the situation, look after their positions. And the second thing that Jesus' question exposes is it actually also points us to the right answer to their original question as well. Uh, the leaders came along and said, who gave you this authority, Jesus? And Jesus points to John and he said, well, John was a prophet. Look, look whose look who's, uh, baptism, John's baptism came from heaven. We're reminded what John was on about. John was always about, on about Jesus. John wanted to point everyone to Jesus, to show everyone that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was from God, that Jesus was going to speak with God's authority. In fact, that Jesus was God. That's what, that's what John was on about. So by asking us if, if John's baptism came from heaven, Jesus is saying, well, actually the truth is that John, John was from heaven and he was telling the truth. I, I am who John said I would, he would be. I would be. I, I'm, I'm the Messiah. I'm, I'm God come to be with you. Jesus' question here wasn't a distraction. Jesus was telling us the truth about who he was. And at the same time, he also exposes the motives of those who were asking the question. They're just interested in keeping control. A revealing question. Our second point is the revealing story. Jesus goes straight on from this little interaction with the questions and then he launches into a parable. Jesus told lots of parables. Parables are stories that reveal truth about God and the world and uh, parables often... They're quite pointed and often they have all these little twists and often they're quite confrontational. And this one, uh, this parable certainly is very confrontational. It's, it's particularly pointed uh, towards the Jewish leaders. So it's not uh, first and foremost a story about us, but uh, there is lots of truth in the parable that is very relevant to us and applies to us too. Uh, let's have a look. Let's read through this parable again. It's not hugely complicated. This is the, the story that Jesus tells. He went on to tell the, para, the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. Now, this is not especially foreign to us, right? You know, if you own a house, maybe you rent it out. Uh, if you own a, a shop front, maybe you rent it out to people to run a shop or to run a business in. You know, you provide something and then in exchange, there's benefits to you. You collect the rent, right? So it's pretty, uh, pretty simple. But here's what, happen- here's what happens in our story. The owner sends his servants to go and collect some of this fruit to get his share, but the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. So verse 11, he sent another servant, but that one they also beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. And then verse 12, he sent a third. I kind of think if you were that servant, you'd be wishing you took a sick day or something. He sent still a third and they wounded him and threw him out every servant that is sent keeps getting treated worse and worse and worse and then here's where it gets uh, I think a little bit surprising so the owner of the vineyard said well what shall I do I'll send my son whom I love you know I would have I probably would have sent the police perhaps they will respect him but when the tenants saw him they talked the matter over this is the heir they said let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. 
what then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. That's the parable. Let's try and just break it down a little bit. Let's try and tease it out. Um, Think about who the different characters represent. First of all, there's the owner of the vineyard, who I think refers to God, God the Father. Notice the incredible patience and graciousness. He sends servant after servant to tell the people to pay their dues. And then you have the servants, who are the ones who keep getting sent, the first and the second and the third. I think the servants refer to the prophets. We know from the Bible that God sent prophets to the people of Israel. He sent them again and again and again to try and bring them back to God. And just like in the story, the prophets were often mistreated, even literally beaten up. Um, And then if that's true, who does that make the tenants? Well, I think the tenants, the ones who are running the vineyard, I think that's addressed to the Israelites, particularly the Jewish people. And probably first and foremost to the leaders, to the Jewish leaders. They're the ones, after all, who have rejected prophet after prophet. And then lastly, who's the son? Who's the son that the owner of the vineyard sends at the end? The son who the tenants kill because they want the inheritance for themselves. And of course, the son refers to Jesus himself. It's a very confrontational parable, isn't it? The, the, the parable ends with the tenants being killed and the vineyard taking away, taken away from them and given to others. And again, I think first and foremost, this is talking about the nation of Israel. After Jesus came and after they killed Jesus... Well, what happens a few days later is that Israel is taken away from the Jewish people and given to others. Jerusalem is destroyed. What Jesus is saying to the leaders is he's saying, this is you. You've rejected God's messengers. You've rejected God's son. God's now going to take all of this away from you. You know, no wonder that after uh, he tells the parable, the leaders are trying to work out how to get Jesus arrested. They know what he's saying. But if that's the point for them, then what's the point for us? Particularly, uh, you know, we aren't Jewish leaders. You know, we live here a couple of thousand years later. Well, I think the point for us all goes back to the question that we're thinking about today, the question of authority. If God made this world and the world belongs to him, uh, if Jesus is God's son, then authority over this world is his. And if that's true, what does that make us? Well, that makes us tenants, We live in this world, we get to enjoy this world, we have limited authority in certain spheres, but this is not our world. It belongs to God. And the problem, like we've been saying today, is that we we like to be in charge. We want to take authority for ourselves. Like the tenants in the story, they wanted to kill the heir and get the inheritance for themselves. They didn't want to be tenants anymore, they wanted authority, they wanted to be in control, they wanted to be the owners just like the Jewish leaders who came questioning Jesus. Uh, The truth, according to Jesus, is that we do not own this world. We're not owners of our lives. We're not owners of the places that we live. We're tenants. We're renters. And as much as we might like to think of ourselves as owners, and perhaps deep down we want to be in charge, be able to do whatever we want and fulfill whatever desire we want and control everything, uh, eventually life shows us that, like it or not, we're not ultimately in control. You know, eventually a pandemic or something comes along, just a hypothetical. Eventually life shows us that what Jesus says is true. We're not owners. This is his world. And in this world, we are tenants. Well, I think that's what the parable is about. I think that's what the passage has to say to us today. We've just got a couple more points now. Um, uh, We'll try and speed up as we go through these. Uh, First, 
artists, there's one question I just think we have to kind of answer um, talking about this. Uh, and the question is this, uh, if Jesus has authority over this world, then you might ask the question, well, why are things so broken? Right? If Jesus is in charge, then why are things so messed up? Is he not doing a very good job of looking after his world if it's his to look after? And I think that's a good question. And I think, I think this is a brief answer. I think the reason why we see the world that we see is that the world around us is not a world working as it's meant to. It's a world where God's creation is not accepting his authority, but living in rebellion against him. This idea is what the Bible calls sin. It's, sin is so much more than just you know, random bad things that we might do. Sin is the idea that God's, this is God's world and that humanity is not choosing to live under God's authority. We're trying to give ourselves authority. We're, we're tenants, but we're trying to be the owners. We're just like those tenants in the story, trying to get the inheritance uh, for ourselves. And this goes right back to the start of the Bible, to Genesis, the first book of the Bible. And I would say, we'll say, if you'd like to think more about this, we, um, we went through the start of Genesis last year. Go and listen on the podcast if you'd like to. Um, we, we really tried to ask the question about why the world is the way that it is. And you might remember in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, they didn't want to live under God's authority. They wanted to take God's place. It's how sin came into the world in the first place. And because of that, the world is broken. We know, we know the world's broken when we look around us. We don't have to look too far. And the Bible says the world is broken because of, because of us, because of humanity, because of humanity's sin, because of humanity's choice to rebel against God. That can make the world a pretty awful place to live in some, sometimes. But the good news is that God didn't just stand back and watch the world burn, that he did do something about his world. He sent Jesus. And in his death, Jesus dealt with sin. When Jesus returns, he'll deal with brokenness and bring about a new world for those who follow him. Which is why it's a good thing that Jesus is in charge. Uh, we know that as, as much as we try and control everything, eventually we fail. But if Jesus is the one in charge, then we can rejoice knowing that the one in charge knows how to make this world right again. We might wish Jesus would come back quicker and deal with everything more quickly, but he's like that. He's like that landowner in the story. He's patient, sending servant after servant after servant. He's patient, he's gracious, he's waiting, giving everything, everyone, every chance to change their ways and to turn to Jesus. Well, that's my quick answer to a difficult question. Uh, we could, of course, say more and talk more about it. But for now, I also want to uh, just finish by giving us three implications of uh, this, this thing we've been talking about, authority. Three, three things. Um, if this is God's world and if it's true that we're tenants in his world, well, um, what difference does that make? Well, th- three things. The first one is I think we should treat the place well. You know, that makes sense, doesn't it? If, if, if you rent out your house, you sort of don't expect your tenants to go around uh, smashing windows or knocking walls down. If we choose to follow Jesus and if we do accept and believe what he says, that this is his world, then we need to respect and remember that this is his world. And that has implications for lots of things. Uh, caring for the environment, that it has implications for caring for other people. God is a God of justice and compassion. Uh, it's great to show that to others, to treat, treat God's creation like he would like his creation to be treated. Too often we've made the mistake of thinking that we're the owners of the world and that we're in charge, getting too big for our boots. And this certainly happens in the church. It happens in lots of places, but it certainly happens in the church. Um, this, this is how you get religious people who are snooty and love power and look down on others as, uh, or even mistreat others. 
This is how you get religious people who think they know better than God and they start picking and choosing the parts of the Bible that they like because they think they can do a better job of running the world than God can. I mean, we probably all do that in little ways, don't we? What we should do is treat his world well and take his authority seriously. Uh, The second implication is is obedience, obeying the owner. Uh, If what we've looked at today is true, if, if ultimate authority does belong to Jesus, well, we do owe him our obedience. I mean, maybe we don't talk about this all that much, but we, we owe it to him. And if this is his world, then living his way is a sign that we trust uh, that he's in charge and we trust that he knows what he's doing. We actually trust that if we live his way, because this is his world, that life will actually work out better for us. Might not be a very trendy thing or a popular thing to obey God, but it is his world. Now, a couple of things here when we read God's word and when the Holy Spirit maybe convicts us of something, of something or uh, when the Holy Spirit makes us aware of sin in our lives or speak to us maybe through his word or through the wise counsel of a trusted friend, whatever it is, there are, there are lots of reasons why we might choose not to obey God. It could be because we've sort of bought too much into the idea that, uh, that the world's idea that the way to find blessing is to look deep within and, and just be true to your most inmost desires above and beyond obeying God. I think a lot, lot of time for Christians particularly, um, the reason we don't obey God is because we, we're pretty good at playing lots of games with God. Um, we say things like, oh, Jesus, Jesus wouldn't want me to do that or, or Jesus wants me to be happy so um, I'm just not going to do that when in reality we're not, we're not listening to Jesus when we do that. Uh, we're just making up a hypothetical version of Jesus who happens to agree with everything we want to do. Or maybe we compartmentalise, you know, we're perfect Christians at certain times of the week, but then when we're tired or when we're alone or when we're at the workplace, then we take a break from paying attention to what Jesus says. Or maybe God convicts us of something, you know, maybe we realise that there's lots of people around us who he'd like us to share the gospel with, but we don't want to do that. Um, It's out of our comfort zone. So what we do instead is we kind of think, oh, okay, well, I'm not going to do that, but maybe I can offer God something else. You know, we sort of play a sort of a substitution game, you know. We read the Bible a bit more or we go to an extra Bible study. Uh, I know you wanted me to do this, God, but I'm just going to go and do this thing instead. I'm sure you'll like that thing too. It's just playing games, isn't it? It's just like those Jewish leaders coming to Jesus, trying to ask trick questions, trying to trap Jesus, be cleverer than him. And, and games are fun, but, well... <laughs> We, we don't, shouldn't play games with Jesus, should we? Uh, this is his world and we obey him and give him our obedience. Treat the place well, obey the owner. Last one. Uh, we need to finish here. Remember his grace. When we're hearing uh, that this world belongs to Jesus and that he's the one in charge, one, one, of course, danger is that we get the wrong idea and we start to think of God like a dictator, like he just likes to boss us around and tell us what we want to do. Uh, the truth is we'd be much better off thinking of God as the loving father. Um, Annika and I have two daughters. Lucy's um, two, year old, two, two years old. I'm sure most kids do this, but um, Lucy loves to be independent. She loves to show her independence. She loves to say, I can do it myself. And there are some things she can do herself and there are some things she can't really do, but we still let her give them a try, like putting her shoes on. And if she walks around with uh, shoes on the wrong feet for a couple of hours, it's not the end of the world. But there are also things we won't let her try and do on our own. We won't let her say, you know, drive the car or mow the lawn. And there are things that we need to help her to do, to show her how to do, to teach her to do. 
you know, we're not teaching it to drive just yet, but um, we're much better off thinking of God and his authority like that. He loves us. And in the context of his love, he wants to show us how to live his way. Obeying the Father isn't a miserable submission to a power play. It's lovingly letting our creator show us the way to live, letting him guide us, letting him teach us the best way to live in his world. And frankly, we're much better off letting him take the lead and letting him have responsibility than trying to control everything ourselves. He's a loving father. He's a God of grace, a God of patience, a God of compassion, a God who sent his son to die for us. That's how much he loves us. And if we remember that that's what God is like, then I think we'll quickly be happy and we'll quickly realize that it's a good thing that he's the one in charge and we'll be glad to give him our obedience. Let's pray. I'm going to have one more song to finish our time together today. Father, we thank you again this morning for your word, for, for Jesus. We thank you that he is king, that he has authority. And Father, we want Jesus to have authority. We want to give our lives to him because we know that he loves us. We know that we can trust him to teach us and guide us and to show us how to live in your world. Help us to live well in your world, to obey Jesus and to remember his grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.